You're listening to the Armchair Cricket Podcast. Hello everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Armchair Cricket Podcast. A podcast focusing on test cricket by armchair critics of the game. We are recording this episode on the final day of the second Ashes Test match at Lords. In fact, we are recording this at lunchtime. We have a lot of things to discuss in this episode, so let me welcome my co-host Ajit so we can get right into it. Hello Ajit, how is it going? Hello Giri. Things are going good. How have you been? How was your holiday? Well, I was in India, so you cannot really call it a holiday. <laughs> you know how it is. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I welcomed the break, um, although it made me miss uh, a bit of cricket um, during that period while I was away. I'm trying my best to catch up with uh, what I've lost. Um, so a lot of things have been going on. How, how, is, how are things going for you, especially your cricket season? Well, I mean, our season is not going as well as it could be. Mm-hmm. But uh, well, I mean, we, we still have a few things in our control. So we've decided we'll do our best on the field and hope that the rest of the results fall our way. Mm-hmm. So uh, all I can say is the next three to four uh, weeks are going to be very interesting. At least the weekends, I'm sure, are going to be very mm-hmm. interesting for us. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's good. Yeah. So shall we start with uh, the first item on the agenda for today? All right. So before we get into the tests, because uh, those would uh, you know uh, require a bit more detailed examination, mm-hmm. let's quickly go through the one-day series, the India versus West Indies one-day series that has just been completed. This series has been won by India uh, 2-0. So let's say this, uh, you know, the Indian juggernaut continues to roll on. They took the T20 series uh, and they now have also completed the one-day series victory. So the first one-day was actually rained out. This was also in Florida, but it got rained out. And then the second one, uh, for the second leg, they actually shifted to Port of Spain. So here, uh, the two one-dayers were played, both of them were played in uh, Port of Spain. So if we look at the second ODI, so India batted first and made 279 for seven, thanks to a 120 by Virat Kohli and a very aggressive 71 by Shreyas Iyer. So having done that, uh, they were able to keep West Indies to 210 all out. Because this was a rain shortened game, it was only a 46-hour game. And they were able to keep West Indies to 210 all out in spite of some good batting by Evan Lewis, who made 65. Nicholas Puran, who, who made 42, and a bunch of, uh, you know, starts by Hetmeyer, Chase, Holder, and so on. Bhuneshwar Kumar took four wickets, and Shami two wickets, and Kuldeep Yadav took two, even though he was a bit costly. So that was a comfortable victory for India. Chris Gale was back. He scored the required number of runs to be the highest ODI scorer for West Indies. So he overtook Lara to become the highest one-day run scorer for West Indies. I think this was always on his mind, and it was also his 300th one-day international. So it was a important landmark as far as he was concerned. Coming to the third ODI, it looked like it might very well have been his last ODI, at least because he had a special tailor-made shirt, 301 number on his back. And uh, he opened with uh, Evan Lewis in this game. And he made a very aggressive 72 of just 41 balls. Evan Lewis made 43 and then there were again a bunch of contributions down the order, taking West Indies to 240 for 7 in 35 hours. This game was a rain-affected game. India were given a target of 255 from 35 overs. And they made a light work of it, thanks to another Kohli 100 uh, chase masterclass from the master chaser of ODIs. And then Shreyas Iyer again came up with a very, very aggressive 65 of just 41 balls. In fact, when he walked into bat, the match was sort of in balance. 
but uh, he hit five sixes and three fours and basically made sure the match was put to bed though he, even though he was out with about 40 runs required kedar jada walked in and made sure uh, kept his keeper company and finished the match off very comfortably so this gave the series victory to india by 2-0 virat kohli being named both the man of the match and man of the series this this indian team probably is also a bit hurting because of their uh, you know unceremonious exit from the world cup in the semi finals therefore uh, they are going to be a bit ruthless in the upcoming uh, couple of months and uh, it also augurs well if you are an indian fan especially when uh, with the home test winter coming up so a lot of tests to look forward to so giri do you think chris gill has played his last odi match for west indies sir well i think that's a question only he can answer <laughs> he has this you know uh, habit of walking back on his word right so uh, so you never know but i think he has played this he has played his uh, last though um it's it's also not good on the west indian uh, cricket team or the management <laughs> if he keeps you know delaying his exit if if at all he is going to leave he should uh, you know make it very clear but i'm sure he has spoken uh, to his teammates if that was his last game so let's expect an announcement from him of sorts um but i think he'll still be active in the t20 arena if not in the international uh, at the international stage he will uh, play for those franchises i think he still he, he probably still has one more year i think but he is going to be 40 right how, how old is he now is he 40 already no no he's going to be 40 you're right yeah so but quite quite a charismatic uh, personality so if if he does hang up his boots i think we're going to miss him for mm-hmm. sure so yeah a great entertainer indeed well now uh, moving on from one entertainer to another if you were to quickly go to the new zealand versus sri lanka first test mm. which happened at gol so in this game again it was a very you know entertaining game and it was almost a very good test match because there were some brain interruptions because it's in the subcontinent and you know late summer this is to be expected but all in all a very enticing test match because uh, sri lanka played a very good chase to take the test match because in this case new zealand also did their bit very well where i know at the end of the third innings it looked like new zealand were the favorites but you know they couldn't convert it to a victory so this test match was played in gol and uh, new zealand won the toss and elected to bat first usually at gol the first innings average score is about 401 they they were very well short of it they were all out for 249 um ken williamson had a very you know low scoring test for a change their openers could not do much but ross taylor made 86 and along with henry nichols who made 42 made sure you know new zealand had something to uh, something on the board and then lakmal took four wickets to wrap up the tail and akila dhananjaya back in the test squad took five for five for 80 he in fact took the first five wickets to fall so New Zealand did well to get to 249 but Sri Lanka again uh, there were a lot of interruptions on both the second and the third day but they got to 267 and at one stage it looked like you know it it very well might have been that New Zealand could have gotten a lead because they were seven down for 161 Sri Lanka because uh, in spite of some decent top order contributions so like Kusal Mendes making 53 and then Angelo Matthews making 50 and the skipper Karunaratna making 39 they were 161 for 7 but then and niroshan dikwala who made 61 found uh, lakmal for company and who made 40 basically and then they took the fight back to the kiwis and they were able to push the sri lankan score beyond the kiwi score and they were at 267 all out so for the kiwis uh, ajas patel the left arm spinner took a 54 and then somerville took three wickets and then trent bolt took two in the third innings again new zealand did not have a very good start with only tom leather making 45 in the top four and then henry nichols made uh, 26 but then 
there was this typical late order fight back led by uh, bj watling who's done this many a times right so he made 77 and then uh, the rest of the lower order contributed santana made 12 saudi 23 will somerville basically made his highest first class score for a 40 not out trent bolt 26 and then ajas patel 14 so they took new zealand to 285 so this meant you know sri lanka had a very tough chase on their hands 268 but what was visible was that there was not a lot of you know not, not a lot of things to be worried about there were not big patches outside the right hander or left hander stumps which spinners could exploit so on and the pitch was just slowing down i think sri lanka batted really well in the fourth innings karuna ratnam made 122 tirumanna 64 and then matthews was 28 not out while you know dhanjet silva made 14 and they completed a victory so it was a very tough chase of 268 but they were able to make short work of it gire yeah indeed first of all i am very happy that sri lanka have won this match uh this is the second time right this year that they have chased down a score of uh, 200 plus indeed uh, the other memorable occasion when they did it was against south africa with kushal perera making that uh, 153 not out the special innings that we all saw indeed uh, and again his uh, his team's captain this time karuna ratna doing a wonderful job of uh, posting a century and having that uh, first wicket partnership of 161 runs with tirimanna i think that basically broke the new zealand attack there i think it's uh, the the openers did a tremendous job which set up the platform for uh, the middle order guys to finish it off mm-hmm. um spare a thought for uh, uh, dickwella i think uh, sri lankan team really have missed him in the world cup squad he was not there uh, so he makes a comeback to this test squad and then he you know he makes that uh, very crucial contribution of 61 runs in the lower middle order and he also scores very quickly compared to uh, the other middle order batsmen so i think he he his role is also very very important in this uh, in this side in this sri lankan side i think I, i'm i'm even going to even going to say that uh, is a very important cog in this uh, sri lankan wheel well done to sri lanka and uh, yeah tough luck for new zealand i think new zealand uh, <laughs> well i hope they do well in the next test Uh, though ken williamson not firing this time i think that i think he him making a 50 plus score could have um, you know could have changed the outcome of the match but then again it is what it is new zealand have mm-hmm. to come back with a better batting performance yeah sri lanka always pull rabbit out of their hats i think this this is a wonderful test side you can forget about their world cup performance i think they were a horrible uh, they had a horrible tournament there in england but the test team is something else um, so I, i like the way they are doing i like the way they are playing i hope they do well when they go abroad as well they did, they showed it to us in south africa and i hope they continue this good form and uh, you know they they i think they have 50 points now 50 or 60 points for a win in this uh, world test championship it's 60 i think 60 yeah so yeah. they 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 have secured 60 points it's going to be very interesting nobody is going to just look at a series result anymore mm-hmm. they will always look at how many uh, uh, points they have gained at the end of every match so it's 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 a uh, yeah it's fascinating i really like the idea of this uh, test championship indeed the test championships will make it very you know enticing in the upcoming uh, couple of years let's say at least uh, upcoming 18 months we can let it simmer and then maybe january of 2021 it all comes to head because there'll be about 6 months left and uh, maybe two or three teams will be in the running it it's going to be going to be very interesting you're absolutely right because the, take this new zealand test for example it looked like it was going one way right through and then suddenly it turned on its head and sri lanka were able to do a comfortable chase because 
we know chasing 250 plus in the last innings of uh, anywhere even even specifically is going to be very tough but they they did really well there as as you said sri lanka are able to make so much more out of the limited mm. resources in terms of players they have this always has to be appreciated and there is this certain maverick nature to their cricket and their culture around cricket as well you know they still don't have a permanent coach or a head coach actually the head coach position is yet to be filled and i don't know what they're going to do with uh, you know the contract they have with hathura singa because he sort of had an iron clad contract with the board knowing their let's say the mercurial nature they are still able to do it do well in tests or uh, in one days they are a bit of a shambles but under karuna ratna i get a feeling if he's given like uh, full control of the team in all three formats mm. for example we see that he is very calm and he's able to bring the best out of his players he has a certain way of thinking and he chooses his players but i think all in all it can be very beneficial if this guy is given a run i think as long as they don't again suddenly mercurially start shifting the players around and again dismiss him as a captain or whatever mm-hmm. also another thing chandimal had actually made into the squad so maybe in one of the upcoming tests we may see him bat maybe he may mm-hmm. given a middle order role to play and that would be good as well as far as sri lanka is concerned because he i'm sure his time in international cricket is not done as far as chandimal is concerned so let's see how that goes Mm-hmm. So a lot to look forward to in the New Zealand and Sri Lanka test series but if you were to go ahead let's look at the second ashes test kiri so what are your thoughts on this maybe you can summarize it for us yeah what a cracking test match it has been and what a cracking test series it has been so far uh, the ashes they always bring the best out of both teams and uh, this is what we all want to see you know as purists and uh, Test cricket fans, Ashes always brings the best of both the teams, England and Australia. So let's look at what is happening right now in the second Ashes test uh, being played at Lords. So Australia won the toss and they uh, decided they were going to field first, which meant England came out to bat and uh, the opener, Jason Roy, was dismissed very quickly for a duck by Josh Hazelwood. Rory Burns and Joe Root tried to put on a partnership, but Root was dismissed again, LBW of Hazelwood for 14 runs. another failure you have to say for joe root um and then uh, burns and joe denley put on another partnership a sizable partnership uh, before denley was dismissed when the score was 92 runs so that was the fall of third wicket and uh, denley was also out to hazelwood and then burns rory burns himself was dismissed off cummins uh, for a well made 53 runs he was looking good although um yeah he he couldn't stay out there for much longer Josh Butler, Ben Stokes, these two guys got off to some start but they couldn't capitalize. They were both out for 12 and 13 runs respectively. Uh, until Johnny Besto and uh, Chris Wokes put on a bit of a rare guard action there. Uh, Chris Wokes made 32 runs um before he was out caught behind of Pat Cummins. Johnny Besto himself made uh, uh well made 50 you have to say uh, he made 52 runs before he was out caught of uh, nathan lyon jofra archer and uh, steve broad um, they couldn't do a lot towards the end uh, made 12 and 11 and uh, jack leach was not out on 6 towards the end and england were bowled out for 258 runs in 77.1 overs amongst the bowlers uh, the quickies did really well Uh, Pat Cummins and Josh Hazelwood both got three wickets apiece. Peter uh, Siddle was unlucky. I think he had a couple of chances dropped uh, earlier in the innings. Uh, he managed to get just one wicket. Nathan Lyon bowled very well. Uh, he picked up three wickets for 68 runs. When Australia came out to bat, they lost David Warner very quickly. Uh, he was bowled beautifully of uh, Stuart Broad 
for three runs. So a failure there. Um, Bancroft and uh, Hwaja, they were uh, they played very patiently before Bancroft was dismissed uh, with a score on 60 runs. And uh, Bancroft himself made 13 runs. Khwaja and uh, Steve Smith got together, but Khwaja was <laughs> dismissed quite immediately as soon as uh, Smith came out to bat with him. Um, the score was 60 runs and uh, Khwaja was dismissed for 36 runs. Travis said Matthew Wade could not, um, you know, could not make a big score. They were both out for seven and six respectively. And Steve Smith then had to bat along with Tim Payne and Pat Cummins with the tail as well towards the end. Mm-hmm. Uh, there were a few episodes right there. Some very good passage of play. We'll come to that in a bit when Steve Smith was batting. Smith, of course, was hit uh, on the on the neck by uh, Joe Archer. So he retired hurt and then came out to bat later. Um, but Australia were eventually dismissed for 250 runs. Just eight short of the uh, score made by England. So England happened to gain a lead of uh, eight runs. Um, amongst the bowlers, Stuart Broad was very successful. He picked up four wickets. Chris Wokes um, picked up three wickets for 61 runs. And uh, Jack Leach bowled very economically. And he picked up the wicket of uh, Nathan Lyon towards the end. But um, these figures don't seem to say a lot. When you look at the bowling figures of Jofra Archer, 29 overs, 11 maidens, 59 runs and two wickets. But the hostile spell uh, he bowled against Steve Smith and the other batters, I think this was, this will be remembered for a long time. Um, Mm -hmm. We'll come to that in Mm -hmm. a bit. Um, England then came out to bat in the second innings and they're still batting out there while we record this episode. They had a top order collapse uh, with uh, Rory Burns, Jason Roy, Joe Root, and uh, also Denley being dismissed for cheaper scores. Uh, Rory Burns made 29 and Joe Denley made uh, 26, but Roy and Root got out in uh, got out to single figures. In fact, Joe Root was out first ball duck uh, against the bowling of uh, Cummins. And we just read that Josh Butler has been dismissed a few minutes ago um, off the bowling of Cummins for 31. While Ben mm-hmm. is still out there batting with uh, Johnny Besto. Ben Stokes is batting on 55. Um, amongst the Aussie bowlers right now, uh, Pat Cummins has three wickets for 27 runs. Uh, Hazelwood hasn't got a wicket yet. Um, and so has Nathan Lyon. He hasn't picked up a wicket. But Peter Siddle has got two wickets for 22 runs in his 11 overs. Um, so, yeah, I guess you've been following this match as well. And also considering it's a weekend, I think we get to watch two days, um, you know, um, of uh, play here. But we, I have to add that, you know, the first day's play was completely washed down due to rain. I missed right. that earlier. So, so it's effectively a four-day test. So how do you see this progressing? And uh, do you think there's going to be a winner at the end of this match? I just feel, you know, I think England have just enough runs and enough batting left in the tank to make sure... They play almost up to T. That will make sure there are no, you know, winners or there are going to be no winners in this test. Right. Mm-hmm. But still, uh, the seriousness of cricket that's on offer is always very compelling because it's an ashes test. And even though it's only a four day game, I think England did well, you know, to even to get to the score that they did. 258, it did not look to be a big score, but they made it count with the, when it came their turn to bowl, of course. So Khwaja, I felt, are dismissed a bit softly, given that he had made 36 and fought really well. And just then, Bancroft had been dismissed. 
And then, of course, Steven Smith, I think he played a real, real masterclass. This 92, again, uh, the two played over, um, let's say, two separate sessions because one, he played out uh, a lot of uh, hostile bowling, not only from Archer, but also from uh, Ben Stokes, also from Wokes. And Stuart Broad himself had a wonderful length that he was continually, you know, hitting Steven Smith with. So that was a very courageous innings of Stephen Smith. I thought you you went into it a bit more about how you know Stephen Smith and Jofra Archer because I think you saw a lot of it live. What are your thoughts on this? I was very lucky to uh, happen to catch this live. So, uh, <laughs> so I was on the couch, uh, you know, watching my television, and then I saw uh, Jofra Archer come out to bowl in the in the afternoon session, I think, uh, against Steve Smith, and. Uh, <laughs> Jofra Archer had warmed up quite nicely. Uh, he was bowling in excess of 90 miles an hour, quite comfortably. And you know the way the the action that he has, it doesn't look like he's going to break a sweat when he bowls his delivery. And uh, um, there, there were a few deliveries which um, which flew past uh, Steve Smith's helmet, I have to say, and some of them just brushing his uh, forearm. But there was one which uh, caught Steve Smith flush on his uh, arm <laughs> on his left arm in fact so the leading hand top hand and uh, he had to get treatment for that and you you almost heard him <laughs> scream a bit when the ball hit him on impact yeah yeah uh, and uh, you saw it, it was a bad injury i think there was a bruise and then it was taped and then he he wore an arm guard after that probably should have done it earlier so and he continued to bat amazing guy steve smith a lot of grit aussie grit typical aussie grit he continued mm-hmm. to bat um, and he was looking good, actually. He was looking very comfortable out there. But Joe Fracher at the same time was bowling really well. And there was, I think, one of one of the other delivery he clocked in excess of 96 miles an hour. This was almost Shoya Bakhtar-like. But, you know, uh, it, it looked very less dramatic uh, in, his, in, in terms of the way he bowled. But the ball was right there. It was n- no delivery was wasted. All the bounces that he bowled, all the pitched up deliveries that he bowled were on target. And I think if you looked at how Johnny Bairstow was keeping, ball was hitting really hard. I think he was when when he caught the ball, it was hitting the keeper's gloves really hard. And Stephen Smith is actually a good player of short pitch delivery, having uh, been brought up on Australian soil, right? So you expect that he's able to duck under a ball or he's able to hook a ball or pull a ball. There was one delivery, I think it was 92 miles an hour, um, which he tried to duck under. But I think it came off the pitch really, really fast. And if you look at the kind of helmet that Stephen Smith wears, it doesn't have that extra padding uh, just above the neck or just under the, uh, you know, under the, uh, just on the back. After Phil Hughes' unfortunate uh, incident, all batters around the world have been wearing the traditional uh, protection, right, on the neck. But Stephen mm-hmm. Smith doesn't have that protection on his helmet. I'm, 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 I was actually a bit surprised that he doesn't have one of those. Right. And he was hit on the right, exactly on the same spot, almost on, on the same region, I would say, where Phil Hughes was hit. And Phil Hughes was hit by uh, Sean Abbott, I think. The uh, Sean Abbott? What, what, what was his name? I forgot that Australian guy. It was, it was Sean Abbott. Sean Abbott, indeed, yeah. And he's not express pace. He's a good fast medium medium bowler, but Geoff Ratcher is express pace, right? And then the, the moment the ball hit Steve Smith on the neck, he went down immediately. You know, he went, he was on the ground. Hmm. And you could hear a scream. And this brought out really, uh, you know, it, it, it was an unfortunate incident. But all the Aussie guys, all the Australian dressing room, they were up on their feet. They were really concerned mm-hmm. because this was, yeah, this this was bringing back all those bad memories. Uh, but luckily, Stephen Smith was responding um, and uh, the physio came out immediately. 
and then as a precautionary measure he was able to walk back though right. they, they took him out they said he needs a break and then and i think thumbs up from him as well so he he went back to the dressing room mm-hmm. and i i think they did a concussion test as it is right now you know standard protocol yeah and he was fine and uh, he was actually batting with pat cummins at the moment and peter siddle joined cummins and they were both batting really nicely i think they had a good partnership the two uh, bowlers and then when uh, peter siddle was dismissed <laughs> uh, everybody was shocked to see that steve smith was coming out to bat again Mm-hmm. and i mean this this is unbelievable you you cannot this is just unbelievable how can a guy who has just been hit on the neck was down on the ground and people you know imagining the worst all right he's just out there out to bat, bat, bat again and he was retired out pre, retired out previously on 80 runs he was 80 not out he came out mm-hmm. to bat and he added added another 12 runs uh, he, he actually even pulled a bouncer joe fracha bouncer for a boundary you know and uh, yeah so it's 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 amazing uh, although he was out on 92 runs trapped leg before off the bowling of chris wokes i believe mm-hmm. uh, he made an unbelievable innings yet again he, he has gone a couple of notches up in my uh, you know in my uh, uh, rating to be honest i think he's he's is he's, he's a fantastic batsman he just showed us that it's not just about scoring runs it's also about doing doing uh, you know t- taking some blows Uh, for the team and uh, taking the team to safety as well if he was out dismissed much earlier australian score australia would have lost the lead i think they would have been facing a lead of 50 60 runs and i think that would have been a huge margin in the context mm-hmm. of this uh, match right um, but yeah i mean wh- what can i say about steve smith unbelievable this is this is one to remember this is almost like uh, alan donald against uh, uh, mike atherton you remember that match uh, yeah yeah of the 90s this this is one to remember you, you, you we will hear people talk about this for years to come and and jofra archer is making his debut right is is making his test debut mm-hmm. and what an occasion mm-hmm. people were you know people were expecting this to happen but not to steve smith right so well i'm still uh, spellbound you know by this by what i saw yesterday unbelievable we bring about a good point that um... with steven smith playing this well he reminds us of some you know some good innings from the yester years that was a really good one the one you said where you know alan donald versus mike hatherton uh, but another one in the similar era played by another rossi was uh, if i am not wrong steve wow once took about 11 body blows and he batted a whole day to score a 200 this was in that 1995 test series between australia and west indies where officially let's say the leading t- test mm. nation of the world was mm. going to be australia after that so it was mm. when the west indian dominance was dying and Uh, he took a whole day out of the game scored a 200 steve wow and took a lot of blows on his body from uh, i think ian bishop cutley ambrose and walsh so mm-hmm. another one of those very brave innings right and if you go all the way back also a few more years back or a decades back you if you remember what uh, dennis lilly and thompson when they were at the pomp close and colin cowdery called out of retirement to face them up and you know take 20 30 minutes one evening and then the next session next morning of a lot of brutal blows to the body and keeping tried to keep england in the ashes series then in 1975 so there are there are these real displays of courage this is just display of human courage i would say it is mm. it has nothing to do with sport but why we play sport is for these moments where you can actually yeah. if if sport were to be the microcosm of life itself this is actually the real reason why we play sport to witness these sort of real courageous you know moments uh, that sports persons are able to display and uh, 
you know, a lot of kudos to Stephen Smith. You're absolutely right. And one thing that caught me a bit off surprise is how come the Australian cricket board lets Stephen Smith wear a helmet without that additional attachment for the neck portion, right? I'm assuming every Aussie cricketer would be, it would be mandatory for every Aussie cricketer to wear it, I guess. Because I know some teams make it uh, not mandatory, but optional. For example, not all Indian batsmen wear it as well, and they're given the choice to wear it or not wear it. So it's a it's a bit interesting for me. That's one point to take away, but nothing to really you know nothing to really take away from the way Stephen Smith played. This was Stephen Smith for sure. But what are your thoughts on Archer? Let's not forget that it's actually his first Test match. So what are your thoughts on him? Yeah, what what can we say about Archer? <laughs> I think these are the kinds of fast bowlers that uh, make cricket look good, because if you if you look at how the cricket has been progressing, how the game of cricket has been progressing over the last decade or so, it has become so much more uh, in favor of the batsman. I keep saying this every time we talk, right? So I, I love uh, the way a really tear-away fast bowler bowls. Uh, Shiva Bakhtar was one of my favorites. Dale Stein, who has recently retired, was another favorite of mine. And Jofra jo Archer is going to be my favorite for the next five, six years. I hope he stays injury-free. He just made his debut, debut I know, but uh, I hope he stays injury-free and uh, continues to, you know, perform for England and uh, gets involved in these kinds of iconic clashes between uh, against uh, top batsmen in the world. And I'm also, you know, uh, I would really like to see him uh, bowl well against somebody of the likes of uh, Williamson, Kohli, you know. Um, so, yeah, a lot to look forward to from this guy. Um, I'm really happy to see him bowl so well. And uh, I would say onwards and upwards. Right, right. It's his first test and let's say he's lived up to the promises that was expected of him at the beginning, all the hype that surrounded his debut and so on. But the way he has bowled, if this guy matures into anything that can be expected, he's going to be a very, very good bowler for England in the upcoming years. And for sure, he'll want to test himself against the other you know, members of the Fab Four as well. You know, what you said, Williamson, Kohli. Yeah, so root as his teammate, of course. But the other best batsman out there. So it's going to be a very interesting thing. So assuming that this test is probably going to end in a draw, Giri, what are your thoughts on the rest of the series? Well, Australia will have a lead of 1-0 at the end of the second test by the looks of it. And the next three test matches will be played at Headingley, uh, Old Trafford and again at London, the Oval. Headingley can be... Quite tricky, I have to say. I think it's it's a bit of a seeming track, as we all know, at Leeds. Normally, it swings and as well as that, it seems. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the fast bowlers will be <laughs> in the thick of things again. So it can be a short uh, score game as well. I think it it can be it can be. I mean, I'm not sure, but and it's going to be September, so it's not going to be as dry as it usually is during July and August. So. Um, I have a feeling that the bowlers will come out on top in the next three matches. At least in the two of them, they will come out on top. And Oval is usually good for the spinners, uh, has traditionally been good for the spinners as well as for batting. So, And we also, what happened last year when India and uh, England played at the Oval, both Rishabh Pant and uh, KL Rahul made centuries, right? So, yeah, so looking at the scoreline, it's going to be tricky, but I think Australia will retain the Ashes at the end of the series. What do you say? Yes, I think Australia will take the Ashes at the end of the series. It will be their first win uh, on English shores. They have not done it in 18 years. And before the series began, I had pipped Australia to be, 
you know taking the ashes back home with them mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. it might still come to pass unless you know in one of the upcoming two tests look broad has been in good form and maybe archer he might actually provide to be uh, the one two a pronged attack and with uh, mm-hmm. you know works also supporting them you never mm-hmm. know maybe england can pull one back in uh, headingly and then with two tests left mm-hmm. it might be all to play for so i'm really hoping it will be a very exciting test mm-hmm. match uh at a series of course but hmm. i'm also thinking you know australia will probably take it they'll edge the series right this brings us to the other discussion point we just quickly brushed over it uh, joe root's lack of runs this series what are your thoughts on this kiri has he fallen out of the fab four well uh, has he fallen out of the fab four that's a good question uh because he's batting at number three right should he bat at number four the other ah. four right 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 i'm i i uh, i spent a bit of time looking at what how, how he has been performing right in general uh, in the last 12 months he has not been batting so well in test cricket so if i look if you look at his average he averages about 31 while his career average in 83 test matches has been about 48.3 48 just over 48 and interestingly uh, if you take his average at the position number 3 probably all through his career if you look at all the his whole career he averages around 38 whenever he has batted at number 3 and while his average stands at 48 if you consider him batting at number 4 so clearly uh, batting at number 4 the, the kind of average that he has is more you know is closer to his career average which means you know i mean bill i mean uh, people can say what they want i think he's still england's best batsman right he is their best batsman mm. and traditionally a team's best bat batter or a batsman has been batting at number 4 if you consider sachin tendulkar did it for india at number 4 kane williamson does it for new zealand right now and australia themselves have steve smith batting at number 4 with khwaja coming in at number 3 right so is he batting at the right position uh, and the other question of course is has captaincy taken a toll on his batting right right I mean that could be a very relevant point here. Look, maybe ever since he has taken over as a captain, maybe there has been a bit of a you know influence on his batting. It, it can happen. Some people can sort of find it interesting and their averages uh, improve, and some people over a period of time find it grinding down and their averages decrease. So maybe even though he enjoyed it in the initial part of his captaincy stint, as you pointed out in the last year or so, maybe his averages have been dipping. and it's not very a very good thing as far as he's concerned right because if he is indeed the best batter england have in the test 11 they need him to score a bulk of runs every series if not you know every match that basically means you know is it time that he's given a break and uh, somebody like i don't know butler is given the captaincy they are always um, they are always saying that this guy is sort of air apparent as far as the test match mm. captaincy is concerned mm. right One small correction, Kiri. Uh, yeah. I do remember you saying that Williamson bats at four, but he bats at three. He's he's yeah. one of the people who bats at three, and I yeah. think the Fab Four are those four people. It's Joe Root, Williamson, Kohli, and Smith, rather than that they bat at four. But it mm. can be interpreted in either way for sure. Yeah, my emotions got the better of me. I have to say so. No <laughs> I got a bit carried away, but that's a good thing. But yeah. yeah, going back to the question, if Joe Root were to be relieved of his captaincy, do you think it will help his uh, batting? Mm. And who could be the next captain for England? I am a fan of Ben Stokes taking over captaincy because he's Stokes. right now the yeah he's right now their vice captain, right? Right, right. Yeah, and he seems to feed off other people's energy as well as his own, right? Ben Stokes is that kind of a character, and he's a he he brings a lot of energy out to the field as well. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, I'm not sure how good a tactician he is and how well he can read the game. But why not? I am, uh, ben Stokes is not that old, right? I think he's 28, probably the right age. Maybe another year or so if they can continue with Root and then uh, see right. if it's taking a toll on his batting. If uh, his batting is, uh, you know, starts suffering a bit more, if his average keeps dropping, maybe just uh, give him, you know, a free hand and then say, choose your position, bat at number four. Be a consultant in the team. I mean, uh, if if required, people will go for his advice. Otherwise, you know, just take a step back, enjoy his mm. batting. Mm. Right? Mm. Just mm. look at what Steve Smith is doing. Right. right? He 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 was batting well even when he was a captain, but now he doesn't have the traditional load on his shoulders of the captaincy, and how well he has done. Right? He's he had two back-to-back centuries. And he almost had a century here at Lords. Yeah. I mean, what, what do you think? Yeah. I mean, I would say. Ben Stokes, I sort of see Butler as the guy. He's more an establishment man. Ben Stokes is sort of, well, an anarchist, if I may use this term. Also, he's just come back after some, you know, some bad things that happened in Bristol that evening. And somehow, somebody like that might never inherit a captaincy. He might forever be a vice captain, somebody who can take over at a shorter time, but not somebody who will be interested with the captaincy over a longer period. This is my personal thought. And as far as his captaincy now is concerned, as far as his thought process and this guy looks like a doer rather than a thinker. Usually captains are thinkers. They are also doers, but it requires that you think on behalf of maybe 10 others, not just yourself. This guy is more like, let's go for it, let's go for it sort of a guy. They once mm-hmm. tried doing it with Flintoff. It did not work out so well. He lost the Ashes final down under and so on. Mm-hmm. So I don't somehow see Stokes as the next captain, but it could very well be Butler for me, Josh Butler, mm-hmm. right? That's one thing. But the other thing also is, I mean, if you were to look at it, how about somebody like Broad for a test captain? He's had a lot of experience. Somebody like a, you know, a transitional captain. Is mm. that even possible, Stuart Broad? Could be. I mean, it depends. Um, he's 33 now, I think, Stuart Broad. Stuart Broad. Mm-hmm. He may have just mm-hmm. one or two years at the top of uh, the game. I think he, he has just made a comeback, of course. But then again, uh, how many years does he have? Um, I'm not really a fan of a bowler being a fast bowler being a captain, to be honest, because the fast bowlers are not always a starters. Uh, you know, they, mm-hmm. they don't always start because they carry a niggle every time. And uh, look at James Anderson, for example. He poor guy, he misses out again. So yeah, I mean, talking about Ben Stokes, what do you think about Virat Kohli? How was he when he came out to the uh, international scene, and how was what kind of a character he was, and how he how is he right now? So. Um, do you think he's also a thinker? Yeah, but I think it's also re- it's also important that you have a good uh, background staff or uh, mm. backroom staff. So you need right. to have people who give the captain the right kind of advice. Mm. I, I, w- <laughs> I was actually watching this uh, funny clip uh, they played during the lunch break the other day. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this was a talk about uh, Bob Willis uh, being the mm. captain of mm. England team. Do you remember the series where they played in Australia? Right. Uh, and uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. I think it was probably in Adelaide, I think, when England won the toss and they decided to bowl first. Mm-hmm. And Bob Willis was a the captain then. And then uh, he didn't decide it for himself, apparently. Right. There were guys in his team uh-huh. who just told him, you know, you have to do this. Uh, we have to bowl first. And he right. just took their word for it. And then he decided they were going to bowl first. And then they they were made to suffer by a certain mm-hmm. Kepler vessels. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so, th- so if you have a captain who is not headstrong, who is not ready to uh, express himself, you can also have 
you know that, that can also have a lot of uh, consequence on the mm-hmm. way the team performs as well as that the, the whole thought process works right so you need somebody who is also very assertive and right. i think a ben stokes is on probably on the other side of assertiveness he's probably far too assertive to be honest exactly. but but yeah he might well grow into it i think maybe another 2 years they have to let this root experiment go on for another 2 years and then probably after that let root enjoy his batting i would think it might come to end sooner but we'll see i mean uh, there are no clear alternatives is what we mm. find from our discussion right mm. so let's see let's see mm. how it uh, comes through for sure at least for this upcoming uh, couple of tests and maybe a upcoming couple of series as well jorut is still the captain and uh, i think he'll be very keen to win the ashes back at home and at least retain it, win it back from australia because they have not lost the ashes at home for 18 years mm. right mm. so they don't want to give that up so that's one thing it's going to be a interesting couple of tests we really hope you know it keeps us uh, test match enthusiasts very happy yeah, with the sort of results and the play that they bring us yeah. right moving on a quick mention to the nl versus uh, uae t20 series so there was the fourth t20 that was played in den haag and uh, if you remember the score was 3-0 to uae going into this match already it was a four match series and they swept the series clean so they mm-hmm. beat netherlands in the fourth t20 as well uh, it was very unfortunate for uh, my one of my favorite teams netherlands uh, that yeah, they could only make 150 and that was chased down with uh, two balls to spare by uae so mm. that meant you know uae took the series for now so it was sort of unexpected i was hoping to go catch one of these matches live but because of work and other things i couldn't really go so it was a real shame for me but uh, well it was still uh, you know uh, it's a good learning lesson for the dutch boys so i think they'll take it forward to take this uh learning uh, lesson couple of learning lessons in their stride and they're going to get better for this right mm-hmm. speaking of cricket in the netherlands it looks like the euro t20 has been postponed to 2020 kiri did you see this no i only saw read the news but uh, yeah it's it's a shame though um it's really shame it's really shame well i mean it 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 came just with like 15 days left for the first match that was that was really not nice by the organizers it looks like about 100 players who have been contacted and were about to be offered contracts as such were suddenly left in a lurch because some people chose this over for example the caribbean premier league or something because they, they were slightly better paying as a result some players were not happy at all is what we get to hear it looks like they had to take this step because of lack of you know uh, commitment from the uh, people who had bought the teams so basically they were looking for a 4 million uh, investment per team and this money had to be put together and given to the boards before the tournament began and they had only about 12 million and their running costs would run into about 20 million therefore they couldn't go ahead with the tournament this is the let's say the detailed breakdown of why they couldn't go through with it but the way it was handled was not very nice because it looks like in the global t20 that happened previously it was organized by the same company that offered to organize euro t20 and this company was behind in payments to players already in global t20 and two teams almost did not take the field with all of these things happening it looked like there were a lot of rumors swirling around the final week of global t20 where some of the players already were saying i don't think euro t20 was going to happen because i don't think they can afford to pay us and so on and it actually unfolded that way so that's a real pity for me as far as i'm concerned because usually when three cricketing boards are involved and a lot of prestige is at stake they usually get through and they you know come through with this somehow finding a neutral investor or so there were no ticket sales still done they could not find a broadcasting partner yet so there were other problems as well that were not visible so i think cancelling it or postponing it by one year is, seems to be the right decision here even though some of us who live around this region are going to be a bit disappointed not to get to watch any t20 
right so going ahead there is uh, the first transgender policy that has been created by the uh, australian cricket for you know accepting and playing uh, players from community level from club level all the way up to the top for players who are going to be uh, who have chosen uh, to be transgender people or who are born as transgender people so this is a welcome addition so this is also a very good thing to see that cricket is moving further and trying to also accept these people into the fold so it's more and more uh, we see the people being accepted to the mainstream and it's going to be a very good thing going further also another little bit of a sad news sort of we all saw this coming but it's still a bit sad when it happens amla has retired did you read this news kiray yeah yeah it, it was going to happen eventually right so he had a very bad world cup as well it didn't look good and this was expected in the aftermath like dale stein he also retired an iconic player uh, once in a generation player uh, with a very weird backlift we all remember that when he started out um, yeah it's also one of the calmest people around i think on the cricket ground um, so we're going to miss him for sure we'll probably talk about it uh, at length in another episode i think but yeah sad to see that but uh, yeah i think his time had come and uh, he knew that better than anybody so well done to him right. for all the good cricket uh, he entertained us with and uh, good luck to him uh, in his uh, career or in his life after cricket indeed so you know I, there are quite a lot of anecdotes we'll uh, store for another day and it's worth going into it in a bit more detail moving on um, Russell Domingo the former South Africa cricket coach has been appointed as the new Bangladeshi head coach so Chandika Athorasinghe the Sri Lankan let's say the incumbent Sri Lankan coach was exactly. also previously mm-hmm. Bangladesh coach and there were sort of rumors that he might come back to be Bangladesh coach he was also sort of a fan favorite and a player favorite there but it looks like maybe at the end Uh, they also had somebody like mike hessen and some other people even dave watmore and other people on radar it this guy was naturally not mentioned as one of the top 3 candidates so it came out as a bit of a surprise that he was the guy that was going to be you know given a chance to be the coach so but nonetheless it looks like he was he was the one that was most ready to commit to the time and uh, he wanted to be there all day every day for 2 years and that's something that's very good as far as international coaching goes so probably it's a good thing and bangladesh mm. is very happy to appoint him mm. speaking of head coaches now then ravi shastri has been reappointed as india's coach what are your thoughts on this kiri wasn't there a rumor circulating already a week before this appointment that shastri would be retained in any case i think he was uh, <laughs> he was probably uh, the favorite already and we know mm. um, the kind of uh, well i'm not going to say bias i think the preference that virat kohli has i think virat kohli really liked working with uh, ravi shastri and the team seems to be doing well under him as well so why not give him another shot although if you look at the other shortlisted players and the other applicants were people like robin singh uh, but anyway uh, there were other foreigners like uh, mike hessen tom moody i think these two were also shortlisted and uh, right. moody would bring in the australian way of coaching of course and he has already been successful uh, in IPL uh, right sunrisers right. Right. he won a trophy exactly. for them and mike hessen was probably one of the longest serving coaches of new zealand cricket team uh, mm-hmm. and he probably laid the foundation for the team that currently is playing out there in international cricket uh, mm-hmm. for new zealand so he his team probably um, went to the finals two times in the last two world cup so he also brings with him a reputation but 
but uh, the uh, the committee which was mm-hmm. headed by kapil dev seems to have chosen uh, ravi shastri over all these people right. uh, very interesting because yeah ravi shastri i don't know i mean he he has been uh, in the uh, cricket administration uh, role uh, i think he was previously director right before he became yeah. the coach he so been. how long has he been how long has he been uh, associated with uh, indian cricket i think 2014 to 16 was his first stint as a team director then kumble mm. had a year or so then he's mm. come back since from 2017 some point in time well he's had a fairly successful run for sure and look there is certain uh, certain amount of uh, value to have the continuity as well it's not a bad thing mm. uh, and he's well liked and respected by the players and he he always shows that and there's always camaraderie and respect between him and the captain kohli and he's mm. one of those coaches that believes captain runs the ship and coach is there for support not the mm. other way around for example mm. like mm. he's not all that hard a taskmaster is what we come to know and if you go back to his playing days he was always a party boy as well himself so he mm. probably understands what somebody like hardik pandya or kl rahul went through and he's probably a good guiding hand and like an elder brother there you know to mm. sort of guide them through these things mm. but at the end of the day one does feel did they miss an opportunity here to bring a different thought process so mm. there are both pros and cons when you appoint a foreign coach in a country like india because we have tried previously somebody like greg chapel who had a very abrasive and a very you know authoritarian way and it didn't work on the other hand somebody like john wright who was more uh, patient a bit more you know he always chose to stay in the background but he was very effective nonetheless when ganguly was the captain right mm. so we have seen both sides of it and here you have a kiwi and an aussie respectively right mm. in history so i would have thought i think the indian cricket is now ready for a very you know a tactics based coach and a more figures driven coach somebody who's very much into figures and stats and can analyze the analyze mm. a lot of you know churn a lot of numbers so maybe mm. hasan is one of those guys mm. but what you hear about modi is a bit old school in as much that he has a mind for numbers he has a mind for stats but he still people and skills over what you get to read in a stat sheet that sort of a person mm. Hmm. either of these approaches could have been very good for us this is my thought process and maybe it was time so look nothing against shastri he's done a good job the victory in australia series between australia is a good point but nonetheless he's, he he was not able to win for india and along with india the world cup or win the series the test match series in england giri yeah but there were some close matches right even in england even in south africa for that matter uh, but i think the highlight of shastri's uh, coach tenure was the series win in australia and that seems to have mm. had a i think that must have had some bearing on this decision decision making and the, if the team likes him why not right i mean right yeah but yeah it's it's going to be very interesting because like you said uh, mm. the team has probably progressed to a stage where they need a different kind of an approach they can fine tune it they can fine tune this well oiled machine that the indian cricket team is so mm. let's see i mean i mean let let me uh, hold my uh, opinion for now and mm-hmm. see what happens in the next few matches and they have a test series coming up against uh, west indies so we'll get to see what uh, his uh, you know um, his guidance will do for the cricket team now that all the uh, dust has settled down from the world cup as well as the decision making process that was taking ages mm. um, so let's see i mean uh, i for one will be happy to see that i mean i'm, I'm also a fan of ravi shastri let's be honest i mean i i although i'm going to miss his commentary <laughs> in the mm, commentary box mm. we have been missing that for the last couple of years so i was hoping he would come back and uh, you know uh, provide his uh, voice 
right. over there but let's see i mean interesting but um, i mean i mean uh, we'll see how it goes uh, i mean kohli likes him so let's keep it the way it is all right but well when it comes to his commentary uh, it's a double edged sword i'm sure i know but i mean i did mean it online to hear mm. that he's better suited in the commentary box uh, he's better suited in the coaching role rather than the commentary box that would spare some of our listeners ears is what they felt but yeah that's a discussion for another day yeah. all right uh, going further you know let's take a quick look at the trivia section so the trivia question from the previous episode was how many times in the history of t20s have maidens been bowled in the last over so we had one attempt by our uh, you know our friend a friend friend of the podcast and our occasional co-host kanna and he said 3 so his answer of 3 is actually right when you look at international cricket or associate cricket and international cricket but if you look at all of t20s i was able to fathom there are six entries so the six entries are there are three in ipl so jaydev unadkat in 2017 uh, took a hat trick and bowled a maiden over in the ipl final uh, in the ipl match then Uh, there were two other such instances so one was irfan patan in 2008 and malinga in 2009 right so there are three instances in ipl there are three international instances one instance is when sani bowled it in the first t20 versus west indies in the recently concluded t20 series right mm-hmm. then uh, singapore's janak prakash also bowled a wicket made in, in the 20th over of t20 international uh, versus qatar right all this was also very recently these are the two instances the third instance was when mohammad amir in uh, i think 2010 this is all the way back when he took three wickets and there were five wickets in that made in over in the last over when australia were 191 all out versus pakistan right this was in st lucia and this was in the world cup in 2010 t20 world cup so these are the six instances that i have come across but i'm also open to saying that if there are anybody else who would like to point out if there are more instances that we have missed for example bbl or you know any of the other t20 leagues out there or even in international matches i would be more than happy to also take that on board so we'll keep this question open but for now the answer is 6 right going on to the trivia question of this week when in the history of ashes did a bowler take 19 minutes for a warm up keeping the new batsman waiting so apparently as you can read from it it's very obvious this may have happened a while back so this is one for the history buffs since ashes is going on and some quirky things have happened in ashes so far we've decided this is the question so for this one we'll have to go a few decades back let me put it like that so apparently back in the day a bowler could take a warm up and uh, when a new batsman walked in this specific bowler took 19 minutes of warm up simply to keep the new batsman waiting who was apparently also on debut so these are more mind games let's say and can any of you answer when was this is the question all right so you could get in touch with us for example to give us the answer to this question or share with us your thoughts and comments about our episodes right you could write into us using uh, various social media platforms for example twitter at @amchaircricketpod or at the facebook page of the podcast or you could write into us at amchair.cricket@gmail.com right so with such a lot of cricket coming up we also have a couple of interesting guests that will be coming up in our episodes and uh, you know series coming up later so we hope you are staying uh, tuned in with us so having said all that it's a goodbye from me and it's a goodbye from him bye bye You're listening to the Armchair Cricket Podcast.